Podcasts. A Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is The GOAT, Serena. You remember those moments that really impact and make people say like, oh, well, she was more than a champion on the court. And that's what mm-hmm. I always said. I don't really care about my results on the court. For me, it's yeah. more of the stuff that what is what is the purpose of your life and what is that? You know, it's been great to see her mature and own who she is and be unapologetic and never give ground on what she believes in. And I think that's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to not morph into what you think the public wants you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I give her enormous credit for staying true to who she is throughout. But then Venus and Serena showed up, and and frankly, the reason Super Saturday went away, and the reason that the women's final became a night match was because of Venus and Serena. That is why CBS did it. They knew how box office that was, and for a couple of years, they were getting Venus and Serena in the championship match at the U.S. Open. Welcome to the GOAT Season 2 Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin, former world number six, Grand Slam single semifinalist and doubles champion, alongside my co-host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, world number four, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guests celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and ultimately a cultural icon. We've discovered over the years that Serena was creating a brand even before branding became a buzzword. In this episode, Celebrity Inc., we'll take you into the dazzling world Serena occupies as one of the world's most recognizable celebrities. And we'll have conversations with Oscar and Grammy award-winning rapper Common, a huge celebrity in his own right, and Tennis Hall of Famer Andy Roddick, a superstar on the court and off, both who have had special relationships with Serena Williams. All athletes dream about becoming champions. Not all of them realize that goal. Almost all champions dream about transcending their sport, being recognized as more than the sum of their prize money or trophies. Not all of them realize that goal either. Serena succeeds on both counts. She's the GOAT and, in that overused phrase, more than a tennis player. One key to understanding how she accomplished that lies in an odd and amusing item on her resume. In March of 2010, Serena enrolled in a 240-hour class to earn her certification as a nail technician. What was she doing? Planning a change of career? Looking toward a second post-retirement career? or hoping to save a little money by doing her own manicures and pedicures? But here's the thing. That attention Serena got for her new pastime introduced her to many women 
who knew nothing about tennis. She famously gave Oprah Winfrey a pedicure on live television. Another large portion of the public formed an impression of her. Serena also launched her own clothing line and hobnobbed with fashion icons like Anna Wintour and Hollywood stars. More and more people who didn't even watch tennis came to know Serena, and in many cases, came to tennis through exposure to Serena. Gradually, the process attained critical mass and helped turn Serena into one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet. It helped that people find it easy to relate to Serena. They empathize with her. Who hasn't had relationship trouble or felt and witnessed the painful toll of parental divorce or the sting of racism or body shaming? Serena experienced all of that and more before she even mastered her craft and hit her stride as the goat. People feel they can relate to her. The problematic delivery of her daughter later in life and her keen awareness of other working moms and the trials they face have made her widely beloved. For Serena, the term outside interest is a loaded phrase. She is praised for being more well-rounded than many of her professional peers but she has serially been accused of allowing diversions to distract from her athletic quest. You have to wonder, isn't it enough that she's won 23 and counting Grand Slam singles titles? How many would finally satisfy critics anyway? 25, 27, 35? The so-called distractions have played a huge role in Serena's persona. She has appeared in over 25 movies and TV shows, including episodes in mega hits ER and Law and Order SVU. She's friends with an astonishing range of other public figures, from Beyonce to Michelle Obama to Meghan Markle and her husband, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex. Serena's entrepreneurial efforts are wide-ranging, from her signature line of clothing to her financial stake in the Miami Dolphins and the Angel City Women's Soccer Club. Perhaps most important for her long-term legacy, Serena's philanthropic efforts, including the Serena Williams Fund, which helps Black startup enterprises. The seeds for Serena's celebrity and deep reach into our culture were planted early. Speaking of their father, Richard Williams, Serena's older sister, Isha Price, told us. He always said that he did not want them to be a statistic, mm. if that makes sense. And, and at the time, we're talking about a time where, you know, you get up, you play sport. You may not have finished college. You may not have done these other things. And it's like when your sport career is over, because eventually it will be, right? There comes a time where it'll be over. And what is, what is it that you're going to do? And how are you going to be a whole person? And, and how are you going to live your life? And what's important to you? And it was very important that that be identified at a young age so that you could kind of be working toward things that you had a passion about. And Serena... Has always loved 
design and pretty things. <laughs> you know, she, you know, pretty dresses and I want to wear this dress and I want to do this. And, you know, it's always been her. So amazing because Olympia is the same way and it trips us out. <laughs> Olympia always want a princess dress or a costume or something with a purse, a heel. It's ridiculous. Serena has created and worn some of the most talked about outfits in sports or fashion history for that matter. Some, like the famous full-length black bodysuit that she appeared in for the 2018 French Open, a nod to the wildly popular movie Black Panther, or the U.S. Open denim outfit, were meant at least partly to send messages. Serena's outfits have always generated strong reactions. Those reactions tend to overlook the playful element, the whimsy of it all. And the savvy understand that at one level, tennis players are like actors or entertainers. That's not an entirely new idea. When women's tennis was first taking off, powered by Billie Jean King and her generation, tennis had its own designer, Ted Tenling. He was a flamboyant, madcap designer hired by the promoters of the Virginia Slims Tour to create dresses for the stars. Some people will look at fashion as frivolous, having zero real importance in our lives. But let's listen to the unofficial historian of women's tennis on that subject, Billie Jean. Well, fashion is very important to um, relate to what's going on in the world. Just like tennis is a microcosm of society, it's something you look at, it makes you feel a certain way. You either like it, you don't like it. It creates feeling. That's what art is. Art always, it, art's not any good unless it creates a feeling or like a, like an impact on somebody. That's, that's true art and that's what a player does. We'll be right back with more after this. So yes, fashion matters. Maybe not as much as Serena's philanthropic work, but it's part of the same multidimensional quality that has lifted Serena Williams to near boundless fame. Our first guest is well qualified to discuss Serena's celebrity, as he's a celebrity in his own right. Common, an Oscar and Grammy Award winning rapper, writer, and actor, has a list of film credits as long as his arm. He also dated Serena and remains her good friend. I'm excited to speak with our guest today, um, musician, actor, social activist, cultural icon, Common. <laughs> Common, thank uh, you for joining us. <laughs> uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to see you guys again and talk to you. Thank you. Well, you know, so so Common, I think you were first linked with Serena in 2007. And uh, Serena in 2007 made an incredible and improbable run to the Australian Open title. Um, was that around the time you two met or started dating? Do you, do you remember that time period? It's funny. Um, 2007 is, is when I really met Serena, but it was after Australian Open. It was in this, it was in the summer of 2007 where Will Smith and, um, and Tom Cruise threw a party for, for David Beckham and, and Victoria Beckham when they were moving to L.A. So I just met Serena and Venus at, at this event. It was really a cool party. 
But um, yeah, I hadn't, I wasn't around for the Australian Open in, in 2007. Ironically enough, though, in 2006 was my first time in Australia, and I was actually hoping to go see Serena um, play. But that that um, tournament, she she got she um, lost early, so I didn't get a chance to to see her. But I was I was always looking forward to seeing her play. Well, it's really interesting because I was, you know, doing a little research on you, but I, I follow you as normal, as most people do. My favorite movie is Just Right. I've seen it probably 10 <laughs> times. Absolutely love it. Oh, but one of the thank one you. of the things that has always been amazing to me is the entertainer, you know, you rapper, and then also you have the sports figures. But you, you know, also were... Um, with another goat at a very young age, Michael Jordan. And so when you, you know, how, tell me a little bit about that and also the connection when, you know, now Serena being the goat of all times. Yeah. You know, Zena, um, wow. Like I was a ball boy and I was a ball boy for the Chicago Bulls in 84, 85 and part of 86. So, I witnessed Michael Jordan, like, the beginning of his NBA career. I mean, from exhibition game, I, you could see how great he was to me, you know, obviously to the whole path of his career. But, you know, I just came across a photo because I never had really a lot of photos of me, like, as a ball boy. And I always, when I would see highlights, when I watched The Last Dance, I would be, like, try to point to it be like, that's me right there, y'all. <laughs> Look, nobody can see because of the quality of the of the TV, um, you know, back then. But anyway, I saw this photo of me sitting under the basket and watching Michael Jordan soar in the air, and he's about to dunk on a player from the Denver Nuggets. And it really struck me how impactful and powerful it was to be around someone so great at that time. Like, just to have that example in my life, even though, you know, at that point he wasn't declared the GOAT because it was only his second, third year. But just the the greatness that he operated in um, and the aura he kept and, and his focus and just witnessing, it's like it's like a light, it's an aura that's around the, him that um, and GOATs that you kind of just experience and you're grateful to be in the presence of. And that's how I felt as a, as a ball boy when I look back on it. Mm. Now, in terms of those traits that you noticed as a kid seeing Michael Jordan and, you know, some of the traits you saw in Serena, were there parallels in terms of those qualities you're, you're talking about? I feel there were definitely parallels um, with Serena and Michael Jordan as far as, you know, just seeing someone who exuded a certain confidence, but also a certain um, work ethic and determination and commitment. You could see someone who wanted to be excellent in everything they did. And that's what I saw in Michael Jordan that I see in Serena too. Um, and I saw that, you know, being around her, just she wanted to be excellent in everything she she does and she is. And, and um, you know, I could see that, that commitment, that determination, the confidence, and I, also a passion and a love for the sport. It felt like, you know, for me watching Michael Jordan and watching Serena, you were watching somebody who was 
like born gifted mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. But they all they also had like worked at their craft, but you could see the anointing. I'll call it I'll I'll, I'll say it's an anointing on like their their gift. And and that's what I saw in Serena. It's pretty amazing though how someone like a Michael Jordan or Serena can find time in life for other things, for those outside interests that some people mention as if they were toxic agents. Tennis players play an individual sport with a tried and true formula. You must be single-minded, focus exclusively on your job, sweep away any distractions because they are negative. It works for most pros, but Serena has fought against that philosophy successfully all her life. It helps explain why she is so celebrated, why she's such a celebrity. She has become much more than a Grand Slam title machine. So we asked Common how he sees Serena's place in society and culture. Well, I think she definitely has been um, a monarch, a, a symbol an example of a woman achieving greatness on on so many levels. Um, The way she's carried herself and demanded certain things in in life, um, meaning for herself to achieve at a certain level, but also holding others accountable and speaking out when, when necessary. And also doing things that everybody, it's not always for show, but she's doing things for people helping people and helping communities that sometimes you don't even know that she's doing. And her heart was there, you know, um, building schools in Africa and, and, and like really making sure that investors in, in black and economics, that they're black people and women being involved and people of color. Like those are things she's not blasting out there that she does. But that being said, she's been a, a, uh, like just a phoenix, like a leader in 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 a way that we've seen an example of an incredible athlete, but also a person that has said, man, this is what my life is too. I'm going to be a fashion mogul. I'm going to be also a business mogul. I'm going to like do what I, what I choose, like living life. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and standing up for women, those things matter. Like, you know, one of my greatest heroes is Muhammad Ali, and the, the reason of that, the reason for that is because as a kid, I, I don't even, I can't even to this day say I, I remember seeing a boxing, him in a boxing match. But his presence and what he did off the court has meant so much to me as a as a young black kid seeing a black man say, "I'm beautiful, I'm bold, I'm black, I'm the greatest, I'm going to win." You know, just seeing a black man do that. I feel like Serena has had some of that radical isms in her life, in her way. And even in the times where it was like, it was just her energy and her attitude and she was angry with something, it still was her and we got to see her. And I feel like she allowed her humanity and her expression of a, of a, of a spiritual, incredible, talented um, woman athlete to come through. So. She go to, obviously she's she's down as one of the greatest ever, but you know beyond the sport she is she has impacted so many so many people's lives. 
I remember texting her when you won your Oscar for Oscar. Yeah, and just being so proud because it's so funny in the tennis world, once you've like been in the tennis world or around us, then we, you know, we love you forever. And so it's like that's yeah. how we felt about you. But one thing that I have always admired is like you said earlier about being a goat and you're a goat within you you're and rightfully so in you, what you do as well. Um, you kept saying you said something that really stuck with me is they're always willing to grow and that they hum that they're humble. And I remember the great Martina Navatilova um, had a chance to interview with her one time and not interview, but coach her one time. And she had beat me 30 some times. And I said, you know, so we go into the Olympics and I'm now her coach. And she says to me, so what you going to teach me now? And I was like, what? But I'm saying all that to say Serena has the same thing. You know, she's getting ready to be, what, 40, but she still she still wants to learn something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um, that's something we don't always attribute to our goats. But I've watched her like from the point even when I first met her, say, man, I want to work on these things and work on these aspects. And that's when, you know, she eventually started like the only working with her father, but also working with new trainers and Patrick who ended up being her, her coach like these, like she started to just be like, I'm seeking out new things. And, and, and that I honestly translated in other aspects of her life um, where she was seeking out, like, you know, let me understand. Like she went to fashion school, she went and studied like, and that was, man, I was impressed. And like, I watched her study, you know, the word of God, like she, everything she was looking to, to, to grow in. Like, and I thought that, um, you know, that, that is to me is one of the, the things for me that as I evolve as a, as a person and, and, a, and an artist, I'm like, okay, how can I get better each day? How can I get better at this? Mm-hmm. I love that. Love that. Can relate to that so much. I, I'm curious as well, your perspective, Serena, she was always drawn to acting and fashion and, you know, really um, was a bit of a trailblazer as an athlete in that way, along with her sister Venus. What role did those interests play in her career, in your opinion? I think they helped um, acting and fashion helped her to be a more well-rounded person. I think they gave her uh, uh, another outlet so that tennis wasn't her only way of expression and the only thing, which in some ways helps you build as a, as a player um, and build as, a, as an athlete because, and I'm saying that y'all are athletes, y'all know better than I do, but, you know, but, but, you know to play on a professional level, you all have, have done that in, in a great in a great way. But that being said, I think you know sometimes when you ha- I can speak from me as a, as a musician as a hip hop artist. At a certain point, I needed another outlet, or my my music would suffer because sometimes you just like you've been doing it for so long, you do it so much that you need another way to express yourself. And I actually found acting to be that other way, and that allowed me to actually come to music and be more potent to be and do it with the love that I always have for it and continue to evolve that. So I believe that acting for Serena allowed her to, to like come back and be when she on the tennis court, appreciate it and be grateful for it. And, and like know that there's other things that she's also capable of and didn't feel like 
or I'm just in a box because the box can be, the box can create pressure as we, you know, as we see a lot of athletes, some of the athletes now talking about the mental health aspects of what the pressure is. So I think having that other outlet, I'm not saying it's, it just removed the pressure, but it allows you to have other ways to release the pressure. And I think that's what acting and, and fashion has done for Serena. Well, I love the way you put that because yes, we are dealing right now is all athletes are starting to really talk about the mental part of it. But as you know, you know, all of us are dealing with mental every day, all day, especially if we're creative and we're very good in our craft or things that we do. But, you know, I actually hadn't been around Serena in a very long time. And I actually had a chance recently to, to spend some time with her. I could not believe her worth ethics. What was it like when you had the opportunity to see how hard she worked? Because I think a lot of times, you know, I've read comments people say about her and they're like, oh, she needs to do this and she's not this, she's not fit, whatever. But if you actually have the opportunity to see how hard she works, I don't think people will ever say that again. Yeah, I think, you know, the the beautiful thing about Serena working is she loves tennis and she loves fashion. And she loved like so so her work, she's putting her love towards that. You know, the great Khalil Gibran in this book called The Prophet says work is love. He says work is love made visible. So I, I believe, you know, her work, you can feel the love coming through it. But she's committed to it and she's like she will give she anything she does, she gives her all. Like she gives a hundred and ten percent. Uh and and you know, I definitely witnessed, you know, the dedication of of her, like just being committed to to being greater, to being a better tennis player. Like, you know, at, at a time where people already were saying she's the greatest, uh, you know, like she wanted she wanted to be better and knew she had to be better and was seeking ways to do that. Um, she wanted to she started taking her fashion courses and going to school like she always was evolving and wanting to grow. And I, and you know, I'm a person that's like that too. So I felt I was very much attracted to that in her. Uh, and I think it's, you know, what is some of the qualities that, that denotes a goat, you have to be able to, to like want to evolve and grow and also be humble enough to know you can get better. Like, you know, one thing my mother said to me, like, man, you know, cause we, I was telling her like, Hey, I was proud of her telling me how she had grown in this one area. And she was, it's like, Ma, you're 76, you're still growing. She was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully grow to the, you know, till I leave this planet. It's got to be hard work being the GOAT. It's also hard work to be a successful philanthropist, a fashion designer, an actor. One of the reasons we celebrate achievers is because we admire their strength and stamina, how hard they work. But Serena knows how to have a good time, too even though that's a part of her life that isn't often featured. And I will say this, to be very clear, like during the time where I was really around Serena a lot, she also had knew how to balance having fun too. Like the karaoke, karaoke was, was, was necessary. Her going out dancing, having fun, you know, we, we would go surfing and, you know, like we still, like that was something necessary too. And I think that that's an important aspect that I think we have to embrace with those who are at that level, that man, they gotta, they gotta have aspect, other aspects of their life. You know, it feels like 
people think that they just only should just only do tennis all day. Just it. But man, people are human beings. And, you know, to reference back to Michael Jordan, he was going playing golf during the championships with with somebody on the opposing team. But that was his way of that was his way of relaxing, you know, and, and his outlet. So I think, you know, it, I have to go back to the did, did she have you out there surfing? Yes, I, I went out there surfing. <laughs> and let me tell you, I really look. You know, I never did it. I'm I'm black here from the south side of Chicago, right? So I, I never, never searched. Where are those um, pictures? Where are those pictures? <laughs> actually, what's funny is the paparazzi caught us. That was one of the first, like, we was out there surfing with this, having a great time. And this guy, I remember seeing this guy, and he was like, um, you know, just around hanging. He was nice. Next thing I know, paparazzi pictures out there. And, and, uh, <laughs> I saw him the next day, and I said, why'd you do that, man? Like he, He's like, hey, man, it was going to happen, dude. He was like some surfer, dude. It's going to happen, dude. It had to happen. You know, I, and I was just like, hey, I guess that's how he makes his living. Oh but, yeah, I was surfing. I went out surfing. It was fun. That's, that's love right there. Oh, well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us time, your insight, and it's just been fun. Yeah, it's been great to, to see you all and talk to you all again. And um, thank you for having me on here. Great to be able to celebrate Serena and uh, you know, honor y'all sisters too. So thank you. Aww, fantastic. Thank you. We'll keep up the great work. We'll be right back with Andy Roddick on The Goat, Serena. Serena's playful nature isn't often on public display. It's a stark contrast to her fierce, intimidating person, on the tennis court. Our next guest is familiar with both sides of that coin. Andy Roddick, the last U.S. man to win a Grand Slam singles title and a former world number one, grew up practicing with Venus and Serena. In a different episode, we described how all three trained for some years at Rick Macy's Florida Tennis Academy. The bond Andy developed with Serena during those years has remained rock solid. Not long ago, Andy and his wife, actor and former supermodel Brooklyn Decker, were asked by a friend to compete against each other on TV's Celebrity Lip Sync. Andy thought it would be fun to invite Serena to make a surprise guest appearance. She complied, and the segment was a huge hit. One of our friends is on a host of the show and they had someone cancel and they're like, we need a favor and we owe them like 17,000 favors. So I'm doing that, doing that thing is like my nightmare. So uh, I, uh, I texted Serena, I said, if you're bored and around, you know, we, we, we could do something fun. So they actually filmed that episode six days after uh, the Osaka meltdown at the USO. Oh, Are you serious? So, wow. Yeah. And so, but they showed it like six months later but so she's in like this wave of controversy and, and, and I asked her to come do this stupid little show. And, but like the effect of the crowd, right. Cause you know, that was, you know, kind of the main thing in the news mm-hmm. for, you know, weeks afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. And people kind of like typical with anything with Serena, they had to nitpick at every little thing. But um, so she comes in, just does it like a, a, you know, complete, complete pro but like that so six days later there's all this so she walks out and the crowd doesn't know she's going to be on the show <laughs> the place the place just falls apart it was it was cool and it's like you realize in those moments like 
I'm a tennis player on a show like that. Like it's, you know, people don't get it. But like Serena is like a cultural staple. Like it just, it's a, it's a different effect. It's outside of our, our, our little tennis bubble to kind of see that up close in the middle of like one of these little mini controversies where she said she'd do it. So she showed up. It was, it, it was cool of her. But Andy, your rhythm was on point. You held boy. your own. You held your own. You Shannon held your and I were own. talking about that. <laughs> you got, you I, can I, groove. I, you can groove. Okay. <laughs> I was I was hammer drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes, you know, like we said at the beginning, I'm here for it. But that was a fantastic moment, so much fun, and you know, you get the sense of the relationship that you and Serena have. I mean, I remember uh, playing an exhibition, and and you two were playing as well. And I remember in the car, and and I don't remember what you're talking about, but the two of you were just laughing and a giggling about something. And of course, your sense of humor, I mean, you are the same person, no matter what the situation. And and that's a real compliment where you have people who, you know, go in and out and, and they sort of change for the moment. You are the same, regardless of what's going on. And you could just see Serena kind of gravitating towards that. And I'm curious, in terms of your relationship, have you always kind of had a good relationship? Did it improve over the years? I mean, how how did you guys sort of get to a place where she could come on a show like that because you asked her? I don't know. We've never we've never like really <laughs> talked about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I, I'm I could be completely projecting, right? She could have a different version of of why it's I you know I, I would say it's easy. Like we have an easy relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like we could not see each other for a year, and all of a sudden we do, and we kind of just like drop back in. Andy understands the celebrity world, the power of celebrity. And he knows how someone like Serena, who transcends her sport, even as she dominates and defines it, can influence future generations. The U.S. now has a whole fleet of young, gifted black women on the tennis tour. Sloane Stevens, Madison Keys, Coco Gauff, to name a few. The men, meanwhile, currently lack a star. No American male has won a major title since Andy at the U.S. Open in 2003. When you talk about U.S. tennis and, you know, we've had this conversation in the past, you know, men versus women. Are there more men coming up? You were the last male Grand Slam champion, U.S. male Grand Slam champion, Serena Venus. You've got a number of other uh, American women why is that? How, what has Serena sort of meant to U.S. tennis? And we can talk about Serena and Venus as well, um, the generation that they've you know, kind of spawned. But why have they been such big factors and, and what have they meant to U.S. tennis from your perspective? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I mean, you don't have to take my opinion for it. I'll just regurgitate what <laughs> Sloan says, what, what, what Madison says, what you know, all of the, the women players that we're, we're now talking about, like what, what Kennan says, what, you know, all of this kind of myriad, the greatest thing we have in women's tennis in the U.S. is options right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's fantastic, and we should never take that for granted. But, uh, you know, out of their mouths, they say, you know, they, they, were, they were everything, you know, mm-hmm. Serena, Serena and Venus. And, um, you know, I had that moment of crossover where I got to play my idols. You know, I got to play Andre and I got to play Pete. And it was phenomenal. And, 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 you know, beating Pete one time, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, wait a minute. Like, I beat one of the best players of all time. Like, maybe I can do some things. Maybe I'm not them. But even having those moments, whether it's practice with Serena, mm. you know, whatever it may be. But also, like, we can't undersell, like, let's get out of our tennis bubble. You fill Arthur Ashe Stadium 
during the U.S. Open with 25,000 people over the course of 20 years, how many thousands of those are now going to have an interest in tennis from having been in attendance at one of your matches, right? Mm-hmm. It's wow. just a, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a numbers play. And you're in New York city. It's the most marketable city out there. You've had success there. All of a sudden you're a global brand. You cross over, you're doing music videos, you're doing you know crazy fashion. You're doing, you, so basically all of these ways to create interest and you also win more than anybody else mm-hmm. in history, right? Like, <laughs> Cur- don't leave, don't leave out. You look in her box and she got a whole bunch yeah, of stars in there. <laughs> it's a different thing. It's an absolute different thing. Like curious, you know, say what you will about him, but he can create interest, but it's for like the first week of a slam, like three times a year. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just not the same. It's just not even the same oh, thing as far point. as like consistent greatness. But like, think about the amount of eyeballs that, that have been in those stadiums that have shared in those moments that will remember them. And then Let's project forward. They have sons and daughters. Oh, that was really cool when I went there. Let's let's innocently give tennis a try. Like, mm. how many of those stories that we never experienced because we're inside the little tennis bubble? Uh, you know, we're, we're we're almost probably too close to it sometimes. Andy knows better than anyone how much success and hard work it takes to attain the degree of celebrity Serena enjoys. He played in the era dominated by Roger Federer and lost to the Swiss master in three Wimbledon finals. Andy worked tirelessly, leaving no stone unturned. But striving for greatness took a lot out of him. He retired just days after turning 30. Soon after he left the game, he realized that Serena was operating on a different plane he developed a new appreciation of the timing and pacing of her career and the role that outside interest and being a celebrity played in her longevity. Well, I want to ask you, you know, sort of on the GOAT conversation, Serena won the Serena Slam. She completed it in 2003, won three of the majors uh, in 2002, Roland Garros, um, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open, then won the Oz Open in in 2003. You won the U.S. Open that year in 2003. So, I mean, you were in this conversation of grand slams, but with Serena and what she had accomplished then and, you know, your accomplishment, how how did that feel? How did you, you know, (laughs) did, did any of that come into play? Do you remember any of that during that year? No, I I was like, like she's Michael at best. I'm Tito, like in the back, (laughs) strumming like a bass guitar, just trying not to try not. I'm trying not to get in the way of the moonwalk. Your win was huge, Andy. Don't, don't downplay it. It was huge. (laughs) Well, fine. Okay. But like, that's not, that's like, this is a goat pie. We're not, we're not not flirting with any of those mechanisms, but um, it's just, you know, it actually kind of like defines greatness because what is a, like a great achievement mm-hmm. is is fa- fantastic, and I'm 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 certainly not going to like apologize for it. But to to know how hard that was, and then you start running out the numbers that Serena's talking about, and you know she would show up sometimes, and like I knew that she had played tennis like five times since like the month of October, and she'd show up in, <laughs> in, in she show up in she show up in Australia, and it's like. Oh, you're going to play your way into the vent because you're that good. And I'm trying to survive, even though I'm like three in the world at the time. It's just, it's just different gravy. It's just absolute different gravy. And what does that take? I mean, having won a major 
and you look at what she's been able to do and consistently, which is what you're talking about, consistently over a period of years and sometimes maybe not coming in at her best and getting herself there. What does that take? What kind of qualities? Well, it's, it's, it's strange because her, the way she kind of goes about things or, or did was, was different. I remember sitting there like, and I, I, I admitted this to her. I was covering uh, Wimbledon for the BBC and uh, when she won um, in 2015 and she came in and on air, I said, listen, I, I was wrong because 07, 08, I'm, you know, training as hard as I possibly can every day, trying to get every advantage I was sprinting and you were, you were participating in a marathon of a career <laughs> and floating. And I, I, yeah. Like I, I was, I was, sh- I was short-sighted. I was like insecure about my ability. You had played like two tournaments that year and I'm going, what are you doing? You're leaving it on the table. Like you only get, you know, this much time as a pro athlete, you got to like focus and you got, and I feel like that was kind of a, maybe a common take mm-hmm. then. And it, I think it takes like this different level of self-confidence and we've seen it from Roger where he's just like, Oh, well, I'm going to take six months off and I'll be refreshed when I come back. I'm like, man, I, if I, do, I might not get back. Like, like I'm gone for the rest of the week. But, so I used to be like, man, you got, you're not working hard enough. You're not doing it. You're not going and all You know, I, I said, listen, and you know, here I am covering your matches, watching them professionally and commentating on them. And, you know, I've been retired for years and you're just, you're, you're still, still going. going. So, hmm. We, we need to, if, if we want to kind of, uh, yeah, you know, admit when we're right, we have to admit when we're wrong. And I was completely wrong. She had, a, she had a process going the entire way. It became clear in this episode, Celebrity Inc., that Serena thoroughly enjoys her celebrity. More importantly, she uses it to influence and shape some of the conversations that take place in tennis on subjects ranging from race to fashion to philanthropy and more. It all leads to a natural conclusion that Serena is comfortable with who she is. It usually goes unnoticed, but Serena never, ever complains about the burden of celebrity. She has never complained about the toll fame takes on her or how much is asked of her by so many. When Serena was a little girl, she has told us Her mother once said, whatever you become, you become in your head first. Serena became a celebrity in her head at an early age. In the early years in Compton, the five sisters would stage talent shows. One of two older sisters, Yatundi or Isha, would serve as the judge. While the other girls sang, danced, or made up little skits, Serena always had the same thing, a rendition of Whitney Houston's greatest hit, The Greatest Love of All. Serena admitted that she always won the talent show because when someone else was chosen, she would cry and fuss until the judge reversed her decision. How's that for a celebrity move? Please join us for upcoming episodes in which we'll continue to explore and celebrate the many dimensions of Serena Williams, from her personal relationships and activities to the peaks and sometimes valleys of her career.
The Goat Serena was written by Pete Boda. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Chanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye. And our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan. Diversion Podcasts.